First Kings chapter 12 in your Bibles, if you would, please. First Kings chapter 12. How many of you enjoy the cold? You enjoy it. This is where I'm at. This is okay. Okay. Wow. Minus 13 on my thermometer this morning when I got up. Minus 13. It's still in the minus out there this morning, yet. You see, this is why the invasion of the north from the south was doomed to fail. It would never have made it. Napoleon didn't make it into Russia. See, even though the South came up in June, it was just a matter of time. <laughs> Weeks, maybe just days, I don't know. And uh, they would have been headed back south again on their own. Anybody seen Mateo? All right, well, anyway, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. How many of you have ever been to the National Music Museum? And you call yourself musicians. How is it that I, a farmer, have been there? Because it said museum on it, and I was, I was sure that I'd go in there and find some military artifacts. And, uh, The National Music Museum. We were driving by years ago with uh, our family on vacation in Vermilion, South Dakota, and seeing signs for the National Music Museum. Imagine that. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know. Let's try it. Let's check it out. We've been back more than once now. More than 15,000 instruments. So many that they couldn't even display them all at one time. Spanning the time period of over a thousand years of world's history. Most of them, of course, in the later centuries, but a pretty remarkable place. And uh, yet, one of the things that really struck me the most, there's their newer building, was the, uh, the fact that you would find instruments there, clearly, obviously, many actually, instruments that never made it. I mean, they were, they were designed, they were produced, sometimes even by big companies. But they, they're not in symphony orchestras today. They're not there. Why? I don't know. Do you have a class on this? Do you study instruments that never made it? Well, that's what the title of my message is today. The instrument that never made it. Through the 16, 17, 1800s, and really many, many in the later 1800s, after the Civil War, and into the Billy Sunday right there at the turn of the century about 100 years ago, many, many new instruments of various designs, many of them pass. I don't know what it is about them, but they just had to have something new and uh, just grab some copper and come up with some new plumbing there. And, uh, and they, you know what, they didn't make it. They didn't. You, you watch an orchestra today, and they're not there. Why did everything settle out to the instruments that we have? Why? I don't know. I'm, I, you're the music students. Why didn't they make it? I don't know. 
Did they not have the right sound? Could they not keep up? There were many in this museum that I saw that I was just stunned by. I probably spent more of my time looking at those than uh, some of the other legitimate instruments. But these instruments today, many of them are relegated to museum. That's where they are. And people can come and look through the glass and, and uh, see them. And in, in this museum, they actually even have audio of people playing them. So you can hear them. But they're still in a museum. You know, as an instrument, where would you rather be? In a museum or in a symphony orchestra? I mean, think about it. Well, the museum is nice. People come. They, they pay. They come in. They gawk. Gawk. And then they leave. And then the lights go out. Huh. Well, at least they don't get banged around. You know. Banged. Dented. It's true. It is true. I don't know. Might be better to be banged around and dented a little bit and to be used. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are instruments, each of us. I laugh sometimes. I mean, not out loud. I try to hide it. But I'll have an upperclassman, maybe a senior in my office, like a sixth or seventh year senior. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll be talking with them, and, and my mind will flash back. Now, this is involuntary. I don't try to do this. Flashback to his freshman year. He's seated in the same chair, but he's not the same man. Oh, if he was, that would not be good. And I laugh some more. Then he says, what are you laughing about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say right now. <laughs> we are instruments. We're being created. We're being designed and built and changed so that we can be part of that symphony orchestra. I hope that's your desire. Yet there might be things still yet within us. Christ is revealing them that still need to change. We're still not able to hit the right notes. We're not able to keep up. I don't know. Some freshmen, when they come in, might look a little bit like this. And I don't know exactly what that means. Well, actually, I do. I just don't want to say. But uh, you probably guessed it. This is in the museum, not in the symphony orchestra. In fact, if somebody showed up like this to a symphony, uh, you'd probably do that. You'd probably laugh. Some of them are a little further off than others. The instruments that didn't make it. <laughs> I think that's just a frustrated horn player. <laughs> I happen to know one of those. 
actually, with this instrument, I understand that you have to play the note two measures before you get there. <laughs> Three measures before. Now, if somebody showed up to symphony, Mr. Van would be doing that. We don't even know what direction to play it. <laughs> it gives you the opportunity to blow out of both sides of your mouth. <laughs> Look good in a museum. You ever seen one in an orchestra? I showed these to my son, Ryan, the other night just because I, I needed to check with somebody that knew. And uh, so I was running down through them. I said, Ryan, if some of these are common and I don't know it, you let me know. We got to this one. He said, that's my favorite. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> now, how long do you think he can stand there? It's called an echo horn. It probably would be interesting to hear, just not in the orchestra. <laughs> now don't laugh, if you played that, you'd look like that too. <laughs> and in about 10 years, William just keep getting bigger. He is a very short man. And he is very short. Now I got you. All right, let's take a look at First King. Can we come back here for a minute? The instrument that never made it. Again, we are instruments designed. And then there is a conductor. There is a musician. We're the instrument. There is a sound. There is a message. And there is breath. If we're talking brass, there's breath. And the role of the instrument is to cooperate. First Kings chapter 12, I want to, this isn't the message, but I want to give some background to this. As you see on the, uh, the map there, I'm going to show you some things because geography is important. Amen. I heard that amen. I heard two of them. That was good. That's good. All right, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you 
to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan, and this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this time would be profitable, that even now, as the conductor, as the musician, you would have your way. That it would be your message and that your, your ability in our lives to change us and then to blow through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to give you some background. This is not a story you haven't heard. You have heard it. And we're going to get into chapter 13 in a minute about a young prophet. But right now, I want to take a moment to look at a map, because maps are important. And this map I take from a book that I purchased in the bookstore in the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem. So these are unique maps. I really enjoy these maps. You can see the split kingdom. It just split between Rehoboam in the south, Judah, and Jeroboam in the north, and that's Israel, sometimes called Samaria. And uh, so you can see which one is bigger and which one is larger. And in this, you see Dan to the north and Bethel to the south. And here, Jeroboam in his earthly wisdom, says, you know what, they're going to continue to go to Jerusalem. There's a fairly new temple there, Solomon's. And uh, they'll go down there, which is not that far away here. It's in Jerusalem. How can I keep the people from going down there and giving their allegiance to Rehoboam and to their God? How can I keep them? And the plan we read. He built two golden calves. He placed them at what he thought were strategic locations, though God had said, you will go to the place that I will put my name there. Well, he disregarded that. He put one in Dan, and he put one in Bethel. They were located there so that people would would be easily able to find the one closest to them. And, of course, in Bethel, that one was right there on the border. Why go any further down into Judah? Just worship here and go home. Now, according to what has been said, though, it seems as though the worship at one of these locations takes off much quicker than the other. I don't know if you caught that. Look again. Verse 29, he put the one in Bethel and the one in Dan, and then 30, and this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Well, that was, you know, kind of a no-brainer, at least, it seemed, for those up north, because it was a lot closer for them to go to Dan than it was to travel all the way to Jerusalem. 
And uh, I mean, there were great hills in the way. They had to journey around through the Jordan River Valley. It was quite a, it was quite a, quite a journey. So it seems like the one that altar at Dan became very popular right away. Yet it was pagan. It was wicked. And it literally kept people from going to where they should to worship their God. Dan, all the way to the north. You know, after the 1967 war and the Syrian border was pushed further north up into this area, Israel finally was able to excavate in that area. And they found the ancient city of Dan. Imagine that. The Bible is true. (laughs) And then they dug a little more and they actually found what they thought was the place of worship that Jeroboam had built. Found it. Uncovered it. It was buried deep by dirt. They dug down and they found it. The place that Jeroboam had built. Here. Israel was so sure. The modern state of Israel. The archaeologists of of their ministry even built to scale an altar, uh, stainless steel, just the framework of it, and set it on the spot where Jeroboam's altar was. And you can go there. Well, you really can't. Country's closed, but whatever. You can see it today. These stones here, laid by Jeroboam, it's there. And if our Jewish tour guide looks a little like Pastor Schultz, never mind. (laughs) I'm sure there's many people around the world look like Pastor Schultz. But there it is. Jeroboam's golden calf altar in Dan. These rooms over here, um, again, modern Israel, secular Israel, now is determined that those rooms were used by these priests that are being discussed here, of the lowest, not Levites, those chosen by Jeroboam to prepare the sacrifices. And sacrificing is being done right here in this compound. In that day, of course, it would have been humanly magnificent, but meant to keep people from going up to Jerusalem. And this location became very popular very quickly. Interesting, the Bible is true. They found the altar. Okay, well, we we didn't need to see the altar to know that the Bible is true. But what about Bethel? It it might have looked something similar to this, of course. The altar there, I, I don't know that it's ever been found. But we can see, we can perceive what it was. And it's there. And it seems as though the one at Bethel is a little harder to get off the ground. And here's why. It's only 10 miles to Jerusalem from there. Only 10 miles. Why wouldn't you then just go to the real thing? 10 miles. And so here now, in these closing verses of chapter 12, Jeroboam determines that he's going to go himself, and he's going to kick things off in Bethel. The very king himself will become priest 
again, blasphemous, but he will be priest, he will go there, he will offer, and he will, by his own presence, encourage the people. This is where you need to be. Don't go down to Jerusalem anymore. And God is very upset with what is happening here. Now we get into our our real story. Chapter 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. This was quite a day. If you look here again, as I've blown this up, made it larger so that you can see now how close Bethel is to the border of Jerusalem, or the border of Judah, rather, and Jerusalem here. Ten miles separate that idol in Bethel and Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, ten miles. But only two miles separate Bethel from the border of Judah. Two miles. And now... A man, a younger prophet from somewhere in Judah is called to go on a mission. Cross the border of Judah into Israel to a a wicked land now and go up there during this dedication and deal with this. And somehow this young man takes up the task he, he, he's all in, he's cooperating, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. He's given the message, the task, the instructions from God himself. He knows that God is behind this. He says it several times. By the word of the Lord, he goes. And he gives the word of the Lord, the message. But I want you to understand what's going on here. This is a big deal. And he goes those two miles. Now, let's set this out a little bit clearer. Let's suppose that we, here at Falls Baptist, right here at BCM, we are right on the border. Eight miles down into Milwaukee is the temple. So center Milwaukee is Solomon's temple. Right here is the border. That means Bethel is pick and save. Now, the young prophet might be from somewhere around. I don't know. But when he came here, he crossed the border. Okay, here we go. And he entered that land with that message. By the word of the Lord, I'm going to pick and save. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. There's an altar there. You know, in that scale, the other altar is in Green Bay. That is the distance to Dan. I'm almost thinking there is an altar in Green Bay. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to business here. He's got to go to pick and save. He's got to get up there at the Feast of Dedication here, and he's got to deal with us. That's where he's going. Verse 2, and he cried against the altar. So he, he, he comes into town. All of these festivities are going on. How many people are in Bethel? What has the population swelled to? The king is there. It's a big day. And this younger prophet, we don't know how young, but in contrast to the later older prophet here, he must have been a younger man. 
And it says he cried against the altar, not against Jeroboam. Interesting that the word of God now is, can't even be given to Jeroboam. It's given to the altar. He cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David. And then he names him Josiah by name. That's 300 years from now. And he names him Josiah. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee. Those men are standing here watching him. You will be burned upon this altar 300 years from now by someone called Josiah. And men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day saying this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And at, it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard this interruption, heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar saying, lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. Lay hold on him. Seize him. Can you imagine them not being able to bend your... And he, he moves like this, and guys are ducking. Who's he pointing at? <laughs> Seize him! The first miracle. Verse 5. The altar also was rent. Miracle number 2. The ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. Miracle number three. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me. It's interesting now. His opposition goes from lay hold on him to come home with me. But you know that the culture is just that for you. If they can't overcome you, stop you overtly, then they'll just say, come home with me. Have you been home with them? Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee reward. And the man of God said unto the king, if thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So it isn't just the message that's important. It's his conduct. He's delivered the message. But he also has a certain way to behave himself when he's crossed the border into this area. God's word is very clear, and he knows what not to do. Don't come home with me. Verse 10, so he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken to the king, them they told also to their father. Now it's interesting. A prophet. God calls him a prophet. There's a prophet who lives in Bethel. He lives there. 
He's raising his family there. And that day, he wasn't at the ceremony, but who was? His sons were there. Ouch. His sons were there. But they were stirred. We saw something today we've never seen before. They run home to tell dad. Now, we don't know how old they are. I don't think they're little children. They run home and they tell their dad, we saw miracles today. We saw something more powerful than our king. And he was stirred. Their father said unto them, verse 12, what way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. I have to confess to you that I, as I read this a few weeks ago, as the Lord was putting this passage on my heart, I've... You know, I've read this before, so have you. We know the story. I was so into it. I was so into it that I was reading through it, and the boys came home to Dad, and they said, Dad, man, you're not going to believe it. And he goes, oh, man, go get, go get the donkey. Get the donkey. Okay, so they saddle up the donkey. You know donkeys. They're not known to be real quick, whatever. And all this time it takes. And so you can see the old guy now, his feet dangling, and he's on the donkey, and it's going this way and that, and bouncing off of things, and... And there it goes. And, and I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my mind, well, he'll never catch him. He'll never catch him like this. And I'm reading through and then I read this and found him sitting under an oak. And I went, what? What are you doing? What's the matter with you? And then I had to wake up. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, I, yeah, I knew that. What are you doing? Is it time to sit under an oak? You know, if you didn't know the geography, you'd go, well, it's probably 100 miles. I mean, he's got to sit under an oak at some point. It's two miles. But the victory seems real good. I mean, look what just happened. I need to sit. I got I to reflect upon this. Man, that was really good. I don't know. How things might have been different that day had he not sat down under an oak. What do we find this young man doing? Number one, pausing. Pausing. He's got a mission. He's delivered his message. He did a good job. Come home with me. I can't do that. I'm not doing that. And now he's just got to walk from pick and save to here. Really? Seriously? There's an oak tree halfway. There it is. You can't just walk back to BCM? You couldn't get here? i got to pause. Well, guess who's going to catch you then? Found him sitting under the... And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Verse 15. Then he said unto him, Come home with me. Haven't we heard that before? Come home with me? Oh, really? Well, where do you live? Bethel. Is that what he's supposed to do? Come home with me? And yet this day, what's he going to end up doing? What's he going to end up doing? Going home with them. Well, that's pick and save. You're supposed to be here. How did that happen? 
Come home with me and eat bread. You know, I think Jeroboam offered him filet mignon. Now he's going to have he, grilled cheese sandwiches, really? And this is what we're going to do. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way which thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. Really? Are you? But you and me, we're just the same. There's no difference between you and me. Remember, we, we both went to Bible college. Remember that? Just you and me. Probably had the same professors. I don't know. There's really no difference. There was a point. Right here is a key moment in this young man's life. He has delivered the word of God. He knows the word. He knows what his conduct is to be and what it isn't. He knows and now he's given that. You and me, why? What's the difference between you and me? What is the difference? Is there a difference? Really, it boils down to that God said, you come back. You know what to do. But on this point, we are... We're practically the same. And he jumps up and, and somehow says, you're, you, know, you know, you're right. Well, I remember. Yes, you and me. Why, we're about the same. And I think at that point they had a selfie together. So one, he's caught pausing. Next, he's caught posing. It fits. <laughs> posing with the disobedient. Posing with the world. Come home with me. Entertaining the thought. And the next thing we know, it's what he's done. So we went back, verse 19. And did eat bread in his house and drank water. The very thing he was told not to do. Finally, three then, he's partying with the world. Pausing, posing, and now partying. And all he had to do was walk from pick and save. Warren Wiersbe says the prophet from Judah did not compromise in his message, but he did compromise in his conduct. And he paid for his disobedience with his life. Sometimes we think as long as we can deliver the message right, the conduct doesn't matter. If you have a thus saith the Lord... You're to glean from this text, it matters. Do not dismiss your conduct. Let's continue. Verse 20, it came to pass as they sat at the table and the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, eat no bread and drink no water. 
thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Do you know that this young prophet, whose name we do not have, is called the man of God? The man of God. The man of God. More times than David is called the man of God. More times than Moses is called the man of God. More times than Elijah is called the man of God. This man is called the man of God. Only Elisha in the Bible is called the man of God more. Man, he's right up there. And now, he's called a carcass. Not because of his message, but because of his conduct. And now, ten more times, he'll be called a carcass. An instrument that never made it. The sepulcher of his fathers is right here. This old prophet stands and says, you'll never make it there. Boy, that had to be a quiet moment around the table, don't you think? Can you imagine that moment? What do you say after that? What's the young man to say? Oh, oh, thank you. What's he to say? Pass the jam? That had to be a very uncomfortable moment. The word of God has been spoken. Judgment has been pronounced. A carcass is dead. It came to pass after he'd eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it, and the lion also stood by the carcass. Behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city. What city? Bethel. Where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him into the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. And he spake to his son saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. And the lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass. The prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn, and to bury him. Let me ask you a question. What was the testimony like when the townspeople that day saw the young man's body drooped over a donkey coming back into this city? The one that had that day, that same day, proven that God's word is more powerful than King Jeroboam, and now he's dead. What kind of testimony is that? Would you rather be at a museum or in a symphony orchestra? 
he never made it. Not because of his message, because of his conduct. I, I just think that was stunning. Verse 30, and he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones for the saying, which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the houses of the house of the high places, which are in the cities of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places, whosoever he would. He, cons- he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places, and this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. There's one more thing I want to look at, just three points that have to do with the old prophet, because he's kind of an enigma. How does he get away with this? I mean, he lied to the young prophet, did he not? Come home with me. You're the very reason that this young man is dead. Is he? Why is the young man dead? Because he disobeyed the word of the Lord. So let's look at the old prophet. The old prophet begins in this story declaring truth or a lie. What is it? A lie. But I want you to notice the progression in his life. He goes from telling a false witness to telling a true witness. Verses 21 and 22. Secondly, he who lived in Bethel and couldn't lift a finger, not raise a voice to speak out against the wickedness there, the apostasy, is now gone from timidity to boldness. Look at verse 28. He went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass, and the prophet took him up. What did he do? This same old prophet now walks up here where a lion is standing and grabs the body. Huh? Well now, that's different. See, we don't think about that. Number three, he's gone from spiritual apathy. Clearly, he lives in Bethel. To notice in verse 31, and it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his sons, saying, when I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, Samaria shall surely come to pass. Oh, now, look here. Did you know that revival is relative? Do you know that revival can come to you where you're at and lift you from there and make you a new person? Isn't that what we're seeing? We're seeing one instrument go to the museum. We're seeing another one come out of the museum and go to the orchestra. I wouldn't discount that. 
God is working. But just as in Samson's life, just as in Samson, now here's the point. God had a work for that young prophet to do. And he delivered the message. And we read. Was Jeroboam phased by the truth there, by the signs, the miracles? Did he respond? No, he continued on the way he was. But it seems like, it seems like, you could have your own view of this. It seems like there's an old prophet in his family that God wants to raise up. He wants to encourage him. He, he's, he's off the tracks and he wants to set him back on the tracks and make him usable. And he wants the young man to be a part of that. And you know what? He was. But maybe not the way that God wanted. You know, when Samson died, it said that, that more were killed in his death than in his life. In other words, he accomplished so much in his death. But was that what God wanted for Samson? And I think we'd all understand, no. There was years of ministry yet to, that ahead of him. He drew it short. And much the same here. That prophet had obeyed, the younger prophet had obeyed the voice of God and come back to Judah. There's so much more. Who knows, but the, the old prophet would have upped and moved his sons right down into Judah. Listen, God wants to use you. He intends to use you. He'll use you far more if you will obey than if you disobey. But there are people all around us God wants to revive. And he will use us. How will he use you? Will you be an instrument in the symphony or an instrument behind the glass? Let's bow our heads. I don't know how God's worked in your life. I don't really pretend to know what it is that God may put his finger on. Is there something, another way that God wants to, uh, to, to direct in your life so that you can be used greater? Is there something there that's a hindrance, some matter of conduct that's not obedient? What is there? I don't know it. It could be that nobody knows it but God and you. But you should take from this that God is very serious about obedience. Very serious about obedience. And he'd rather use you in your life and in the orchestra than beside you in spite of you. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to just have the piano play. God's dealing with you about anything, and you want to talk to him, either in the front or there at your seat.